Welcome to the Rebecca Panapinto Project. On today's show, I'm hosting a great friend named Diane. She's a former Microsoft executive and worked for them in the Netherlands between 1997 to 2012. In 2013, Diane founded an AI startup called WiseNose. Based on years of academic research, WiseNose gives students across the world access to what Diane calls the internet for education. With their AI technology, WiseNose matches relevant information from the internet to any curriculum for students of all ages to consume. WiseNose has offices in Amsterdam, London, as well as India, and they're aiming to be the global market leader across all of education. As you'll see today, Diane loves working with young, passionate, inspiring people. And with her positive attitude, she knows how to motivate all those around her. Enjoy the show. Diane, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, Rebecca. Good morning to you. Good afternoon to me. (laughs) Yes, I love it. I was just saying when you joined the call, how much I love the clocks behind your head and how that gives us a really cool frame of reference to all the different parts of the world that you touch by your business. So that's a really cool idea of a way to really accessorize your background. Wondering if there's any other things that it brings to inspiration for you by having those clocks behind your background. Well, it's, it's, it's not only inspiration, it's also something I need to look at very often because the time differences with India, for instance, is four and a half hours and every now and then I get confused and then I talk to the Middle East. So very, very often I'm just turning my head like, can I still give them a, a call or is it too early or too late? Um, but I'm right now at the second one, which is uh, Amsterdam. And so currently here in Amsterdam, it's uh, 10 minutes past five. I love it. Awesome. Yes. My most international guest so far. So thank you for taking the time to be on the show. I just think you have such a great story. I love what you're doing at Wise Nose as well. So I'm excited to highlight that today and dive in. Um, Let's start. Thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. Let's start with your inspiration. So you were a Microsofty for years and years and years and have now taken the leap into entrepreneurship. And I, I think just a little bit, I've gotten to know you. A lot of that has to do with your family life, but I want to hear specifically from you. When did you decide like, okay, I'm ready to leave this monster of what is Microsoft to go and change the world with my own idea? Yeah, yeah. Well, so first of all, um, when I joined Microsoft, it's probably going to say something about my age. But when I joined Microsoft, I had to explain to my friends uh, what the company was about because that was just after they launched Windows 95, right? So, and uh, it wasn't really familiar. And and my friends were like, software? Wow, that must be like very, very boring. Um, But it was like a magical ride. And uh, well, obviously everybody knows um, um, the success of of Microsoft and the company. And to join that ride and to be part of it was just um, a a great experience. but for me, the organization grew and grew and, and my responsibility grew, which was terrific. And I, I learned a lot. But at a certain point, you reach a stage where you think like, OK, um, for my personality, it's becoming a bit too much a corporate environment. Can I really bring as much as I would like to? Because when I started, only um, 20 people were in the organization uh, in the Netherlands, right? So it was very, very tiny. And when I left, I was I was part of the the, the uh, country management team running, I don't know, about 1,500 uh, people. So a completely different organization. Um, but I left um, because it didn't feel like a match anymore, but without a plan B. 
So I, I had no idea that uh, I would be an entrepreneur. In fact, when you would have asked me, uh, are you becoming an entrepreneur after this? I would have told you, are you crazy? No, I mean, I, I can work in a corporate environment. Um, and then, uh, but then I took quite some time to, to let the corporate life get out of me uh, um, and have lots of conversations. Uh, I was lucky I could do that, right? I, I realized that very much. And every single time I was talking to entrepreneurs, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so in inspirational. And yeah, when I was talking to big companies, I kind of was like, mm, been there, done it, seen it. It was a great ride, but do I really want to do it again? So um, it took me a year. It really took me a year to find uh, the guts to do what I'm doing right now. And uh, I did have an idea, but I didn't want to have like a tiny idea. I wanted like this big, bold, hairy goal to go after. Um, and so um, it, I'm not a born entrepreneur. Some people are really born entrepreneurs. Um, I most certainly am not. So if there are listeners that are working in a corporate environment, considering to become an entrepreneur, you can do it. Even if you're not born as an entrepreneur, I, I was definitely not. But for me, it's been the best decision um, ever. I love that. I would have to say it took more than just guts too. I think it probably took mentors, the right idea, timing. What was, if you had to pinpoint one thing, the catalyst that was like, okay, I've got this, I'm all in. Yes. So that was very clear. That was uh, when I met my co-founder because I was looking for this, this big, bold idea and I didn't really have it. So uh, then I met my, my co-founder, who's a professor in uh, artificial intelligence for, for young users. And by that time, he just finished a massive academic research among universities in Europe. Um, in which they did some research about the role of internet for education. And, uh, and the research was just finished. And he said, I have this brilliant idea, but nothing happens with it because we did it from a university point of view. And I want to build a company, but I, I don't want to build a company because I, I don't want to do it. And um, I actually, I, I came home that evening and I told my husband, um, okay, I got it. I'm becoming a, an entrepreneur. I'm going to build my own company. And he was like, wait a minute, 10 minutes ago, or what was it? Like two hours ago, you left to go to a course because I met him at the course. And now you become, oh, what's happening? But that was the start. That was the turning point. Where That's I, where very I cool. Decided. Yeah. I like it. So you guys have a really great partnership there. And I know Wise Nose focuses on kind of two areas. You've got the 12, or excuse me, the K through 12. But then you have this whole vocational and professional learning, which I think is just huge for what a lot of folks are needing, especially as we're in this timing of the great resignation and people reskilling. They need access to really good content to help them upskill. So tell us about, yes, the K through 12 piece. I want to hear that background, but then how it's molded into vocational and professional folks and how they can really benefit from what you offer with WiseNose. Sure. So let me start by what are we doing, right? Yeah. So um, WiseNose is, a, is an aggregator or a platform. And so on the one hand, we curate educational information. So what does that mean? We don't create it, but we find it either on the internet or with proprietary content providers, so paid 
content. So we have like this massive library of educational content, um, which um, we then match to any curriculum. And a curriculum is a learning line, right? So that's either um, when you're in primary school, secondary school, or learning on a job or being a professional in uh, at, a, at a corporate organization that wants to be upskilled. And so we have this, this collection matched to any curriculum, and we offer that to any teacher or user that wants to use it, either at schools or, uh, or institutions or at corporates. Um, so that's, that's the platform idea that we're doing. And the whole reasoning behind this is that we truly believe that um, the current way of creating content is, is very expensive. It's very time consuming. And uh, the moment you create something, it's already outdated. So why, why do you have to pay these amounts to, to create new content when it's already out there? Why not reuse the information that is there and uh, and offer it obviously for a much lower price, um, and that's not only a, a, a much lower price, but very often that information is much more up to date, could be really contextualized to a region, um, and it shows different types of, of of media. Right? It could be a text, it could be a website, it could be a video, images, uh, quizzes, you name it. So it's much more entertaining. So, um, um, and um, uh, so that's from one part, the, the massive collection. And if you look at the users, which are students of all ages or, or, or teachers that want to, to give it, they would like to hear to get some personalized content, right? So um, if you become a, a nurse in these days, I bet you that the textbooks are not talking a lot about Corona. And if they do, or COVID, if they do, they certainly are not about the Omicron version, right? Mm -hmm. So it's always outdated. It's always outdated. When you become um, a car um, engineer, you learn about the traditional cars and certainly not about the Teslas. It's all outdated. And before it's in your program, it takes a little while. If you curate the latest information from the internet, and check it on reliability. That's very important, obviously. You take out the fake news and the untrusted information. You can make it much more actual and up-to-date and therefore more entertaining and more suitable for the job requirements of, the, of this age. I love it. How do you audit the, I'll, I'll use your word, suitability to your audience? Because I know we even talked about, like you go to, a reading level degree to make sure that, you know, a K kid who's coming across the content can read it and understand it. So how do you do that suitability match with your curated content to your audience? Yeah. So if your ambition is to create the, the world's largest library of educational content, right? It's clear that the internet needs to play a role, and then you can only have one route to success, which is artificial intelligence. So uh, clearly, uh, my company is all about AI, and uh, and we have developed all kinds of of uh, steps that we need to take to to identify um, content on the internet 
to check it on trustworthiness, on reliability. Then we have developed um, what we call a reading classification system that can identify the reading level of, of a web page, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, it takes a long, long time to train the technology to be as precise as needed in education. So uh, with any um, AI company, we are also having a combination of technology and human curators, both human curators from ourselves, but we have like this massive community of teachers that are telling us whether the technology is right or wrong and whether we uh, have uh, the right suitability. And not only that, but you can imagine that if you have, for instance, the Cambridge uh, curriculum, which is being used in England, in, in the US, but also in the Middle East and Asia, you have to show different results, even with science or, 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 or physics, because of the uh, sensitivity in the region. So, um, yeah. There is lots to do to to be as suitable as possible. That's good. And you've, I mean, obviously very quickly had this global expansion too. And I think just expanding to India is the beginning for Diane. I'm sure you have a lot more that you want to conquer. So how do you, before you enter a market, measure how you're going to really meet them where they need to be and curate the appropriate content within that context? Is there an element of locally auditing it as well and building relationships on the ground that can help guide that? Yeah, so so when your goal is to have a, a, a global presence, right, you, you're constantly doing your market research, so where to go and what's affordable, what's doable. And um, so quite early in our journey, we did do something which is not very common for uh, startups or scale-ups in Europe. Because um, if, you, if you want to scale, um, very, very often you either scale in the rest of Europe, because it's close by, uh, Germany, France, Spain, or you go to the US. I think 90, 95 of the, the, the percent of the companies are doing either Europe or the US. And, uh, but we did our market research and we thought like, wait a minute, there is, of course, obviously the US market is interesting, but it's very crowded, uh, budgets are under pressure, uh, lots of innovation is going on. There is this whole massive other market in Asia that is super booming. A GDP mm -hmm. is rising. People, education is, is, is enormously important. People want to pay for it. Uh, the infrastructure is good. English is being used a lot as well. Um, and I can go on and on and on. So uh, we said, we're going we're gonna to go against the stream. And um, as a, a, a Dutch-British company, we're going to go to Asia instead of to, to, to the US or the rest of, of Europe. And um, I haven't regretted that decision for a second, because if you look right now, what's happening in India, in the education technology market, the edtech market, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's outperforming every other country. It's just wow. insane how fast that market is, uh, is growing and how much um, um, willingness there is by parents, by schools, by educators to invest in, in good education. Oh, that's awesome. 
what market do you see beyond India as well? Are you already starting to poke market research into other areas or is there still room for growth you think within what you're doing in India? No, no, that's uh, that's that's the the third Your or third the second clock, clock uh, which right now says uh, Dubai, but it uh, it okay. should say uh, Middle East, North Africa, because uh, um, cool. we're already in the in the Middle East, in the UAE, in Saudi, in Egypt, uh, Lebanon, because um, that region is also very very keen to uh, to change their economies from more like um, economies driven by, by oil into knowledge economies. So if, you're, if you want to be a knowledge economy, you have to invest in education. Oh, yeah. And that's what's going on in the Middle East right now. That's good. I love it. I love what you're doing. Um, <laughs> there's another thing that stuck out to me when we first met that you were saying you're shining a light for learners so that they can see for themselves. And just this idea of no matter who you are, where you are in the world, you want to meet these learners where they are but then you also want to focus on outcomes to help them get where they need to be. Tell me a little bit about that process. I'm sure that can't only be AI. There's an element of, of a human having to be self-aware and understand what they want to learn and what they need to do to get there. Is there an intake process or just them interfacing with your product that helps a learner become self-aware of where they at, are at and identify those outcomes of where they want to be, say, three, four months later down the road of using WiseNose? Yeah. So there are a few few answers to to your question. Um first of all, if if you right, if you say something well, we want to reach uh all those learners, you have to be like extremely scalable. Because right. if it's like uh, if it takes lots of manual adjustments to go from one curriculum from one country to another, it will take a long, long time to be very scalable. Well, the whole idea about a platform is that the uh, that it's very often very scalable. So the whole setup of my, my organization is set up in such a way that whatever we can, uh, whatever we produce, whatever we do is, is reachable for many, many students. Um, we look at the language, for instance, right? So English, how many students are being taught in, in English or in Arabic or in Hindi or in Spanish? Um, but next to that, it's all about uh, personalization. Because what we see in education is that the traditional way of teaching uh, educate of teaching uh, students is uh, was was very close to the curriculum, right? Very close to the textbook, and spending lots and lots of money on um, uh, test results, training them to get the best outcomes, and and just you know um, doing the repetition of of training for the exams so that you could get the highest exams. That still is very very important for your grades, but there is one. Uh, but but we have learned worldwide that it's only stimulating your your cognitive knowledge, right? The, the, the fact base. While if you can also teach students how to explore much more information and how to interpret it, certain topics, it gets much nicer. It gets much more appealing and you stimulate students to look at what they really like to learn, whether they like physics or, or math or biology or English language, um, instead of just, just telling them you have to do this and this and this and this. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you give students a much broader 
library of knowledge that is suitable for their own um, uh, learning skills, you enable them to search for their own interest much more. And then you are not only developing um, um, their knowledge, but you're also helping them um, develop their uh, their personality, their social skills, and and um, to have a clear view of what they really really like. And so we're trying to move the needle with education a bit from just being focused on the best results of your um, exams to um, enabling exploratory education and therefore also um, teaching other parts of the development of a human being. Oh, man. I love everything about that. <laughs> um, growing up, I was actually homeschooled and my mom, one of the best things she ever gave to me was teaching myself to love learning. Right. And wow. That's self-educate as well. Um, it was like, here's an open door to the world. Yeah. What excites you? What do you want to learn? And then, hey, here's more of an opportunity to go become skilled at it. And Correct. that's what I feel like you are doing on a much larger scale is A, helping people understand a real passion for learning, but right. then giving them this curation of what is the topic of the day? What do I want to dive into? And what do I want to be the best in the world at? Um, so I love all of that. Talk Thank to me you. a little bit Thank more you. about, yeah, yeah. Talk <laughs> to me more about the um, the curation versus creation, because that stood out to me too. Like everybody out there wants to be the next content creator and they're all just like, you know, the next big blogger, the next big podcaster. And content is content, king. Content, content, content. content yeah, is key. Throwing content, it out there. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you true. stuck a flag in the ground and you said, no, like we are going to curate the best of the best. Tell me a little bit about that logic and just the upside you've seen from that decision. Yeah. So we also believe that content is, is very, very important, right? You need to give every student the right type of information so they can explore as much information as they want to. Um, but like many other topics, the question is, why does it need to be created every single time from scratch? when there is already information out there. And uh, obviously, uh, I don't know, uh, 50 years ago, that wasn't there, right? You had to create it because the, the, there was no internet. But currently, there is so much information which is constantly updated by the entire globe, actually. Um, then why do we, do, do we need to, to pay the enormous amount to educational publishers so that they can produce new content every whatever, every time uh, period. Um, and, and that's where we said, no, we're going to do it differently. We're going to find what's already out there and match it to, to the curriculum and see if it's good enough. If it's not good enough, we tap into the proprietary content because that's also very interesting for a publisher to know like, okay, you've written a whole article about graffiti, but I have found 12 articles on graffiti that are much better than your piece. But, you but we did not find anything about whatever, topic X. Why don't, you, why don't you start doing that? Because the internet is missing that topic and there's an overload of information on the other topic. So um, uh, we think we need to reuse what's out there. 
and therefore not only uh, reuse it, but also be much more actual and more entertaining as well. It's never nice to have just one writer, right? Uh, let's have some different angles and some different perspectives as well. Yeah. And I'm sure you get active feedback from the people who are digesting the content too of what resonates, what works. Oh, yes. Those can be shared more broadly. And yeah, no. So we we definitely have our, uh, our uh, people who are uh, massive supporters, but we also are facing lots and lots of uh, conversations that are very, very challenging. Um, because if, if you're used to a very traditional way of education, um, um, teachers don't like what we're doing because they, they, they are afraid of us showing the wrong results, right? And sometimes um, the results are not wrong, but from a different point of view, which you could debate. And to give an example, for instance, uh, 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 clearly we need to be very, very careful with any inappropriate content, right? So we we have all kinds of filters. And but uh, I, I received a call from a teacher in in the UK who was like furious, like, oh, "But you're showing inappropriate content." I'm like, "Well." Uh, well, there were 65 million results, so it could happen, right? I said, I, I said, I'm terribly sorry. What was the result? And then she said, it was a naked statue of David. And I'm like, yeah, but are your students not allowed to go to any museum? Are you serious? Wow. And But so, yeah, it's it it can be like, yeah. And, and she was really mad. And I have like, tons and tons of examples where we are showing wrong results in the mind of, of a teacher. And, um, and she might be right. I don't know. I have an opinion, but it, it does, that doesn't matter. But it's, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. We have to be very careful in the region of, of the Middle East to, to not show the wrong uh, clothes, for instance, right? Yeah. We, yeah. I commend you for that, though, because you're not silencing things that are maybe part of history or you're you're giving the learner exposure and then allowing them to like yeah maybe who knows they want to be a sculptor and <laughs> they yeah. just saw this piece of art and you just sent them on inspiration yeah um, I think it's it's great to expose people to the broadness of the world that's out there in education and allow them to find their their learning path beyond that so I commend you for that I think that's really cool Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I will give you as a recommendation next time I get a call like that. <laughs> Sounds good. Happy to help. So what have you learned in, you know, the experience of going from Microsoft, you know, a year off or so, but now running a technology company and just the parts of your own skill set that have been tested and mm. have had to grow? Have they been more on the software side, on the education side, on the people skill side? What have you noticed is like, okay, in order to really be successful, this is where I need to focus my skill set to make the biggest impact. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really very, very grateful that I didn't know what it took to be a, an entrepreneur before I started because I would have never, ever <laughs> have started if I knew. So, yeah, <laughs> the, the, the challenge of being a founder of an, of an organization is that um, 
at a corporate organization, so at Microsoft, I was responsible for uh, uh, sales, business development, the P&L, maybe marketing. That's it, right? I, and, and, and that was great. And of course, I had to understand the technology to a certain level. Um, but when you're the owner of a company, you can't get away with that because you have to talk um, legal language at a certain moment. Well, in a corporate environment, you never need to talk legal language. They won't allow you. They have their, their lawyers to do that, right? Um, you need to be able to, to find the top-notch developers and really not just have a conversation about uh, the company, but inspire them. So um, there are all these different topics and you just you can't just own these topics. You have to have the, the X factor at a certain moment. And so I, I did some, some fundraising and the language they are using in, in that market, I was not familiar with that at all. Hmm. But when you're doing the fundraise, you have to own everything and, and, and even be better than average. So, um, yeah, I think that is one of the most difficult things of, of um, being an entrepreneur, of, of building a company all the different types of, of information that you really, really have to, to, to understand and, 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 and perform in mm -hmm. at certain moments. And obviously, when you're growing, you can have your experts, but it's all about the weakest link, right? You cannot afford to not own and really understand all those different topics, even when you're growing, growing and when you have your, your, your legal team around you, for instance, you still, they still are looking at you every now and then to say, okay, well, the final decision is up to you, yes or no. And so that's difficult. It's really, really difficult. That's why I, I am personally very, very grateful for everything I learned um, in my journey with, with Microsoft, and I'm still tapping into that knowledge a lot. Um, and, and I even have like 10 times more respect for young entrepreneurs in their 20s or in their early 30s who can do it. I mean, super impressive because, uh, yeah, I, I think it's not easy. Yeah, well, that's good. I'm sure on a personal level, then you stay very disciplined and there's routines you follow and self-education you follow as well. Can you give us a glimpse into that and how you... No, but the, yeah, yeah. So not really, because the, the thing is, what I'm doing, I really, really like what I'm doing. And I'm convinced, right. I'm like 100% convinced that the world is, is in need of what we are building. So um, uh, for me, um, it's like, uh, it's a true passion to work on this. And so I don't feel like it's like, okay, now I need to do a deeper dive into the latest, um, the latest uh, natural language processing updates that my team is telling me or the latest things in machine learning or whatever in legal. It's just, um, um, yeah, um, it's part of the plan to grow the company and, and that excites me. So I, I'm not so sure whether it's discipline because discipline has something like you have to do it even if you don't want to. And, and for me, it's more a natural flow. Oh, that's awesome. And that's maybe also, 
yeah, but that's, I think that lots of entrepreneurs have that. And um, it can also be a, a, um, a risk, right? Because if you're so passionate about what you're doing and you like it, uh, everything is positive, you sometimes are not really interested in looking at all the, the, the risks or the pitfalls or the downsides of it. And, um, and that's definitely the case with me. So many people told me that this was uh, a setup for failure and blah, blah, blah. And, and yeah, you just don't listen to that. But you should listen every now and then because otherwise you're not open for market feedback. Yeah. I'm sure your co-founder and the, the mentors and people you keep around you can help with a absolutely. little of that self-awareness when needed as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm very grateful for that. And I, I, I like to receive feedback on that, that areas mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, you can't do this on your own, not at all. Yeah, yeah, it takes a team for sure. For sure. Well, I want to close with this last question for you, um, and that comes to principles. I'm curious for you throughout you know, your life and career at Microsoft, but then now specifically with the leap in entrepreneurship, what has been a core principle you've lived by to be successful in business? Yeah, yeah, for me is that uh, I always look into opportunities and not so much into into limitations. And um, maybe it's all close to being naive. You can even say that. But I, I truly believe the moment you start to look at the things that are not possible, those things will happen. So uh, I tend to obviously pay attention to it and, and, and not ignore them, but focus my energy on where growth is, where possibilities are, how to solve problems. There is always a way out. And um, um, and that's one of the principles. I'm, I'm also trying to explain to, to, to my kids when they, I don't know, when they fail for an exam or when things are not going well, well, there's always a second chance and, and just you maybe have to work a little bit harder, but there is a chance for you to, to grow and to, to do better. And so to look at, um, at opportunities is one of the guiding principles, I would say. I love it. That's awesome. You're so great, Diane. I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much. Well, yes. I, I mean, uh, as you know, I love talking about it. So uh, uh, thank you so much for, for giving me this opportunity and to spread the world. And, and, and I hope that people are um, um, uh, like listening and, and like to, to learn more. And that's always possible. Absolutely. Yeah. Your passion is just radiant. Like, I love it. I'm excited to share this episode with the world. We will share all links to WiseNose too, so they know where to find you. <laughs> Thank try you. Out the product. Um, eventually, we'll get you more in the U.S. Yeah. Um, <laughs> continue your world Sorry. domination elsewhere. <laughs> we will be there. We will be there. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, just a matter of time and focus for now. For some reason, I absolutely believe that. <laughs> <laughs> considering True. you like to find opportunities it, it is just a matter of time so absolutely yes most certainly true awesome. thank well, you so much great Rebecca. work yeah we'll talk again soon